एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं like my father's last posting was in a border area so in that case families are not allowed so at that time i was studying uh, in rivalry city living in a rented one room uh, with my mom and when father retired i was again in rivalry and your education was like hindi medium up board yeah was it english medium yeah mostly funnily enough there is something called hindi slash english medium so some subjects are in english some are in hindi uh, mostly in kendriya vidyalayas uh, mostly in rivalry a little bit in lucknow a little bit in jaipur okay Okay. Okay. And uh, like, what outside of school? What did you like to do as a kid? So mostly, I only had two hobbies. Uh, one was playing cricket, uh, and second was basically reading. So I would usually have a deal with the shopkeepers uh, of bookstores nearby my place, within like a kilometer or two, where I'll go to their shop and uh, I'll kind of take care of their shop for a few hours, and in return, I'll get to read whatever I want for free. So that and cricket were my two favorite hobbies. Okay. So how come you got hooked on to reading? Matlab generally you know reading doesn't come naturally to kids. Uh so I think my uncle like my father's elder brother is a writer um and he used to read quite a bit and then my mom uh, reads a lot of pulp fiction mostly uh, like novels like Kesho Pandit and Vedant Prakash Sharma things that you typically find on railway stations and bus tours uh, bus stops. uh so i think looking at them maybe might have been uh, one of the influences and there were might have been that because i did not have big hobbies so i think reading just became like a escape mechanism of uh, how do you kind of cope up with that and these were like hindi novels mostly yeah uh starting these were comics uh starting like uh, champak nanda mama balhans then proper comics like nagraj superkondo dhru doga uh then literature 
and then I'll sometimes novels and all. Novels and all, I think I only started after class eighth or ninth, mainly because I was not really allowed to read novels. Okay, okay. But like, what language were these in? Almost all of that would be Hindi. Okay. Like maybe two okay. percent English, ninety-eight percent Hindi, maybe less than two percent English. Huh. Okay. So, uh, what was your ambition when you were in school? Like, what did you think? Actually, it will keep on changing. Uh, so, there was a long period of time where Army was the first choice. Uh, uh, so I applied for NDA five times. Uh, I cleared the written exam all five times. Went for medical, went for interviews, actually, SSB interviews four times, got rejected all four times. Uh, in parallel, there have been times where I have thought of becoming a professional cricketer, a cricket commentator, a lawyer, a politician, a farmer, a bunch of different different things. <laughs> okay. So then, what did you finally end up doing after school? So after school, did you like drop for NDA and all? Like, did you drop um, a few years? Or? I did not drop for NDA, but I did take a drop mainly because well, I was so um, like I was so both confident and like what is the right word? I so much wanted to join army at the time and at some point in time it became an ego issue that you know I am so smart and I am so fit and how can I not be selected uh, that I did not apply for any of the engineering entrance examinations. So after class 12th when finally I said okay this thing is not working out uh, so I took a drop year so that I could appear for engineering entrance examinations uh, and then I went and did my engineering. Hmm. Okay and uh, this was in Bhubaneswar so how was that experience like being away from UP and completely different state? Uh, so it was actually pretty good. Uh, so in like the drop year that I took, so in general, my mom was very pro- productive of me, uh, primarily because my elder brother uh, was and elder sister were spoiled by my grandparents. And in general, like I was the one kid that they would call like studious, smart, whatever you want to call it, you know, ghar ka naam roshan karega types. Uh, so like, for example, I was not allowed to uh, fly kites. I was not allowed to ride a bicycle uh, just in case any of these things end up in- injuring me. So I think that one year that I took as a drop, I was in Kanpur and that one year I think uh, got into a lot of fights, did a lot of the stuff that teenagers typically tend to do. Uh, I wanted to basically not stay close to uh, like rivalry Kanpur, Lucknow. So I thought that if I do, then the company will remain roughly similar, which would mean that I will end up doing the same things again. Even if I don't want to, it's just that you kind of get sucked into it. So that was the main reason of why I decided to go as far away from UP as possible. Um, and Bhuneshwar slash KIT happened to be that. Uh, so I think it was good also because like I was starting from a clean slate, new friends, uh, new work. So I like that. Hmm. Okay. And uh, did you like opt for placements after KIT or like, you know, I, hmm. I already had a couple of offers even before placements, uh, but I did certain placements as well. But I was also pretty clear that uh, so at that at that time, like most kids, I was very extra confident slash arrogant. Uh, so at that time, the plan was that I'll get into either Ahmedabad or FMS Delhi, and I'll go and do an MBA. Uh, and if I don't, for some reason, I don't get into these two, then I'll go and do a job. And as I said, like I already had, I think, three maybe off-campus offers. And then I think... I How think did you get these off-campus offers? Like you were applying on job portals or something? I wasn't, actually, funnily enough. Um, so I was, uh, as in at that time in third year, so my engineering college was a tier two, tier three engineering college. And generally from tier two, tier three engineering colleges, a lot of times people start preparing for MBA entrance examinations. Uh, and at that time, I was very, very popular in the test taking janta as someone who is very smart and who is going to like 100% or at least 99% of the times you are going to get a 100 percentile, not just 
not just that you are going to like clear cat exams more like you are going to be 100% and that's it uh, so i think the job offers that i got were more from reputation less from actual work or so i think two out of the three were for example uh, b school prep type companies uh, one was a startup type where the premise was basically we want raw smartness and then you can figure out what mm. to do how to do it mm. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Okay. So why FMS? Like I am Ahmedabad, of course I understand. But uh... well, actually, both of neither of these were rational reasons. Both of these were emotional reasons. I am Ahmedabad because, uh, like, as in at least at that time, it was well known as a term called Vimvi, so well known Institute of Management in Western India. Uh, so like, it was just what I started uh, to know when I thought of MBA. Like that's how I heard about MBA for the first time. FMS because the way FMS works is a lot closer to the way I think world should work. Uh, I don't like relative grading, for example. Uh, I don't like rat races in general, where everybody has a single goal and they are moving in a single direction, doing all the same things and all of that. Uh, and then I don't think higher education should be something that should be very expensive. Uh, so I think FMS just aligned with how I think the world should be. Uh, and how is FMS, the FMS different from other? Uh, B schools like among the top tier B schools, FMS is the only one that doesn't have relative grading. Uh, as an at least it didn't when I was there. I don't know if that's true anymore. FMS didn't really have the rat race in the sense like a lot of people would actually spend let's say seven eight hours a day pursuing whatever they wanted. Like you did not need to study for like fifteen hours to get a good placement. Uh, and then the fees at my time was thirty five forty thousand for two years combined. I actually ended up making five lakh rupees studying at FMS in two years, <laughs> as against spending whatever fifteen sixteen lakhs uh, yeah, while doing yeah. an MBA. So, How did you make five lakh rupees? Like internship type of internship is one part. I made about a lakh and a half internship, but also uh, I would participate in a lot of different events and competitions. Uh, and again, because like you have so much time at FMS compared to like again top tier B schools. Uh, which meant that I could just go and participate in like 15, 20 different B-plan competitions, consulting competitions, whatever. Okay. So in a way, your uh, roots for entrepreneurship were kind of set in FMS. I think before that. Uh, but FMS definitely would have helped. Uh, I think when I was a kid, uh, like I, I don't care about money, but also I don't want to be in a situation where I have to care about money. Like I don't want to have to worry about when I was a kid, for example, I did not want to have to worry about that. Okay, I want to eat pani ke batashe, so now I need to figure out a way to get two rupees, uh, and which is what would happen. So I would do random odd things to make sure that I have two rupees. So, for example, uh, in summers, let's say, um, like when the actual harvesting happens, people will take all the major grain particles, but there will be some grain particles which are just thrown over the field because well, there was air and so on and so forth. So I'll go and I'll pick that up. I'll get it clean. I'll sell it on a shop, and I'll make like fifteen rupees. Uh, okay. That fifteen okay. rupees would make sure that I can do random stuff. And again, I'd never had like expensive hobbies. It was more like I did not want to have to worry about money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Got it. Okay. Okay. So from FMS, then where did you get placed? Uh, I got placed into Vodafone. So I joined their uh, right of, as an. I think I did my internship with City, uh, and then I joined Vodafone as a final placement. So why Vodafone? Why not like, you know, I mean, like the most coveted jobs are like investment banking, consulting and, you know, yes, these kind of... Mostly because I never, as in my purpose of MBA was never to find a job. My purpose was MBA was basically spend uh, two years with smart people um, having fun and like just doing random talks and figuring out random stuff. So I 
when I went into FMS, I think I was ranked two in the entrance exam. Uh, when I got out, I think I was probably in bottom 30, maybe bottom 25. Uh, so Vodafone was probably one of the companies that gave me an offer. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So that Vodafone, me, kya kya? Like, what was the role there? So normally, in te- in most companies, after again tier one B schools, you are typically hired as a management trainee, which means that you go through different stints in different verticals. Um, so I did a stint in uh, channel sales. I did a stint in marketing. I did a stint in retail. And then I got a full time uh, role as a channel as a pre. Like telecom prepaid sales, which is called yeah. channel sales in telecom. Yeah. Which, which is like hardcore on the field kind of a role. On the field sales, yeah. Hmm. And did you enjoy that kind of role? So I enjoyed the role. I enjoyed my work. Uh, the problem was that telecom is in general like a very, very uh, hated field. When I say telecom, I mean like prepaid sales in telecom. In fact, um, I don't know if that's true anymore. But at least at the time, there were a bunch of surveys where like insurance sales is the most hated job. And then prepaid sales is the second most hated job. So there's a lot of uh, unethical, illegal things that go along to make up for the numbers. Uh, there is a lot of uh, like shouting and abusing at your team and all of that. So I did not really like how it worked, but I enjoyed the job itself. Also because I'm a very ambitious, aggressive person and in sales, it's easy to prove why you are better than everybody else. Like when I joined, I think my territory was uh, either the worst or the second worst for 15 years. When I left, we were rank one for three out of the four months and rank two the other four. And that gives a different kind of five for the sales guy. Which territory did you get? Uh, I was handling Ahmedabad. Okay. Okay. If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion-dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis Podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the show. So what made you quit Vodafone? Like you quit in less than two years. Like, you know, yeah. what drove that? So the tipping point was that uh, uh, like my superiors slash my reporting manager and his reporting manager, they uh, switched somebody from my team to go to a different location. Um, and he did not want to because of a personal family issue. Uh, so that was the tipping point. But in general, I was just not happy with the, uh, how it was working. And I wanted to work with people. It was very slow. Generally, corporates are typically slow. They are very risk averse. Uh, they don't think about 10 years out. They think too much about like, okay, what happens like next week and next month and so on and so forth. And that's fine. Again, I like sales because then I like acting on things. Uh, it's just that I think acting on things has to be towards something. As one example, uh, like I was the ASM when M-Pesa was launched in Ahmedabad. And uh, I thought it was fantastic product. If they thought of it as an internet product, I don't think there was any room for something like a PTM uh, to basically come up and become this big. They were selling it as a telecom product, which is also fine. Uh, but they were just not even open to listening to, okay, why this is not the right approach. So as a random example, they would spend like, if I remember correctly, I think I had like a budget of two crores a month to promote M-Pesa. But uh, users still have to pay money to both put money into M-Pesa and take money out. Like you're trying to kill cash. There's no money for taking out cash from my pocket or putting cash back in my pocket. And you're any which case spending more money than that on marketing. If you want to make it work, it has to be seamless like cash where you cannot charge money just to put money, to load money into an MPESA account or to take money out from an MPESA account. You're like, no, that's how you make money. You have to be profitable. 
Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I remember one time uh, M-Pesa was pretty much mandatory if you were getting a SIM from Vodafone. Like, oh, oh, malab, ma- mandatory in the sense that they would push, you know. Jawa, uh, that, is, uh, that is because there was so much margin for both the salespeople and the retailer that they would uh, try and push. Yeah. Uh, 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 okay. So, uh, then like, you know, did you quit with some idea in mind that I will look for another job, I will do my own? Yeah. Malab, kya Actually, Uh, at that time nobody really believed when i was saying like i i, I have no freaking clue i'll figure out uh, but like my plan a was basically and coincidentally when i was in engineering college i was clear that i'm going to start a company when i was in b school i was clear that i'm going to start a company someday when i quit my job at that time i did not want to start a company uh, the plan was to try and find a early stage startup like let's say pre series c pre series d uh, and then basically like beg them for a job uh the premise was that i had worked already in the strategy in retail in sales in uh marketing uh, and i was an engineer by like training before that so I, like i can do a little bit of whatever um uh, so i took four months break just to meet a lot of people including friends and any founder who take a meeting uh, and the plan a was to find somebody that i really like and then just beg them for a job i liked some people but did not like anybody enough to say keep give me a job uh and that's how the kind of came So then, then what happened? Like you, you could not find any compelling job, but you know, like were you also exploring business ideas and talking to potential I, co-founders? Yeah. Uh, not talking to potential co-founders, as in they could have been potential co-founders because these were again either friends or founders themselves. But not as in that was not the explicit reason. The explicit reason was to spend time with friends uh, to brainstorm and to meet founders to see if I like someone. So my last stop was in uh, Bangalore. I spent some time in Delhi, some time Gurugram, some time Pune, some time in the last stop was in Bangalore because probabilistically it seemed like Bangalore is the highest probability uh, of where I would find a job because well, most of the tech startups were here. Uh, so I would teach at times in the daytime to make sure I have some money. Uh, afternoons typically I'll go and meet founders, and evenings I'll typically uh, have a drink or two and chat with friends on what makes sense, what can theoretically be possible. um including my own ideas but also like other ideas which other companies were working on um, and how long did you do this this whole I think about a month okay hmm. uh and i think i was particularly biased towards two ideas at the time uh one was pratipi one was something like danzo but it was a very different gtm plan uh and pratipi's idea had remained in my head for like when i was in first year of engineering college uh but i was not i did not want to pursue it because i did not think that i am a good fit for that idea uh but like this seemed like a best idea that i could think of at the time and this was a problem that was close to my heart any which case like from an emotional perspective not from a rational perspective so i thought okay let's give it a shot hmm. what what was that problem like tell me about that like what what in first year of engineering what did you identify as a problem when i went to my engineering college i realized that hindi content was simply not available that much and if you remember i have always been a voracious reader um when i went to engineering college i realized that like offline in bhuneshwar especially a bookstore can carry maybe 200 300 hindi titles like 3000 total titles uh, and if you read as much as i did you had read most of the good books online there wasn't really anything back in 2006 if for english there were still a few but for hindi there was literally nothing so i had to shift to reading english entirely but also like i don't like being told what you cannot do like in general as a person um and this was like literally the world saying that okay you have to shift to english or you have to stop reading there is no other choice so uh, what there is uh, options on kindle and all like ebooks i don't even if there was as an i don't even know if kindle was there back then even if there was there was no way in hell that i had the money to buy a kindle uh, right right uh, 
Okay. Hmm. So I wanted somebody to solve this problem from that time, like because I did not think that the world should be like this. I wanted, as in, I think the world should be more like uh, people get to choose. As in, even if it's a wrong choice, it's your choice, and you get to decide whether you should do this or that or something else. Uh, being told that you cannot read in Hindi and you only have to read in English or French or whatever, uh, that doesn't sound like the kind of world that I want to live in. So I wanted somebody to solve this. It's just that nobody had. Uh, so yeah, so I thought, okay, nobody's actually solving this. I am not finding a company that I really like, so why don't I kind of try this out? So how did you decide to solve it? Like, did you decide to do like distribution of Hindi books offline or create an alternative to Kindle which has Hindi? books on it or what like so i as an i generally can take a lot of pain and uncertainty in short term but uh, in general i think more from a long term perspective so i was very clear that if i was going to build a business i did not mind failing but if i if it was to fail i wanted to fail in the first 1 2 3 years not like after 10 years after i have already become very large and then like the business goes away poof so i wanted to make sure that the model that i'm going to pursue has some kind of a strong network effect so as economies of scale which basically makes a difference for somebody else to come and compete so which is why it's very clear that i wanted to build a ugc platform which is basically like a true marketplace think of it like whatsapp youtube basically uh, so that once you get to critical mass and ugc platforms are impossibly hard to build in general but once you get to enough critical mass then because you have more readers so more writers come to you because you have more writers so more readers come to you so business kind of is very very hard to compete against uh, mm, so that's the model uh, uh, exactly okay. i would never have built something like kindle even as in that's there is a 0% chance because then it is basically about like who has more money to pay off more publishers uh and today at that point i might have had more money but some day bejos would always have more money than me as soon as he decided mm. to come <laughs> right right so uh, i believe there is a startup called whatpad whatpad uh, you heard whatpad whatpad and is one of my favorite founders alan okay. is the ceo of whatpad uh, so that was like the inspiration to do a whatpad but for what uh, i could biggest inspiration was youtube but whatpad was also one of the big inspirations uh, so there have been like bunch of inspirations along the way so i really like kora what they were doing back then at least been a big fan of adam uh, kora ceo uh, youtube was like literal directly uh, like the best let's say inspiration slash what you wanted to kind of move towards but did you WordPad want to do video uh, or did you want to it's do not text video per se it's about like how the company operates it's not about text or video whatever it's more like youtube has truly democratized uh, one form of uh, content creation so we wanted right, to do that right. as well a lot of other forms okay okay so what did you launch then like what was what was your go to market and what did the first product look like so in the beginning we just started with online literature text basically uh, so that was essentially in fact the first product that we launched or the first version of the product that we launched was simply like a blog so you can come and you can read stories that is it there's nothing else that you can primarily because we were very very clear that this is a problem that we want to solve but we had no clue or at least we did not want to kind of uh, act like we are experts and we know everything uh, that what the solution is going to look like so we said okay we'll figure out solution along the way uh, so we had a hypothesis i had made a chart paper of like if this works then this will happen if this works then this will happen uh, but the premise was we'll let the market teach us as we kind of go along So the first version was basically simply a blog type, so where people can come and read stories and poetry and novels and stuff like that, so that we can see if there are people who are at least interested in reading something. If they are, then we'll go to the next. So that was the first one. Uh, then and, we got uh, some people. Before we go to next, so who is we here? Like, did uh, you so at that time, uh, I think 
as in when we started i got four of my friends as co-founders and then over a period of time of course more and more people kind of kept on joining and these were what like from fms or from college days no. or what so one was my school batchmate um one was my engineering college batchmate one was my batchmate from mba uh, one was my colleague from vodafone okay good mix of co-founders okay so that that's like a I mean, five co-founders uh, sounds little unwieldy, na? And especially in the early days, was there enough work for five co-founders? So honestly, I think the number one quality that a founder needs uh, is being resourceful. So at that point in time, uh, there is no way that I could have paid like market salary to smart people. Uh, so if I wanted to work with smart people, uh, then the only way to make that work was to give out significantly more equity and get people as co-founders. So that was the thing that we needed to get to that point. I don't think it's particularly about whether one co-founder is better or eight co-founders are better. I think it's more about like uh, what makes sense in that particular context. Hmm. Okay. 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 So five of you launched a blog, and uh, how did you generate content for it? Like the the stories uh, and the poem, poems. Before actually launching, uh, to figure out if there's a real problem, like it's a problem for me, that's great. That doesn't mean there is a business. uh what i did was i spoke to about 350 400 odd authors and 300 350 around uh, readers to try and understand the problem itself so the first thing that we did when we decided to launch was to go out to these 350 400 odd people uh and try to convince them to basically put their content on the uh, most of them said no because their point was like if there are no readers why would i take the effort to basically make an account and upload and all of that so then we said okay you don't have to do anything we will make your account we will Uh, upload your content if anything happens we'll tell you if somebody reads your story we'll tell you if somebody reviews your story we'll tell you all you have to do is basically uh, give us a yes like give us a approval to do uh, so that is how we got the first maybe about 200 odd stories then uh, we got about another 150 odd stories from public domain content which is basically content which was written by a writer a long time back and now they have passed away and that story or their content has become public domain content. so we got about 150 odd those stories to on to run to put on to the platform Uh, so I think this is how we seeded the supply side in the beginning days. And how did you do the demand generation? Like, how did you get the readers? Uh, readers were mostly utilizing our own network. So we'll uh, put posts on Facebook, Twitter, uh, email, WhatsApp that like we are launching this. Or generally, a lot of times we'll not even do this. We'll do more like okay, uh, just read this story on Prathvi. It's awesome story. You should definitely read uh, because we had a lot of public domain content. So there were a lot of stories which were like old but very famous, like Godan or Gaban. So we'll put a post like it just reread Bodan and like it's one of the best stories ever written. So that is how we got the early part of uh, readers. And then another thing which really really helped was that for writers, once they saw that you know five people have read my story, then they shared with their friends that you know what my story is published on Patrik and you can go and read that. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. That okay. helped generate a lot of early readership as well. Hmm. 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 Okay. Okay. So then tell me next version of product then after this. So I think so. It was not like the, there was a big bang version. After that, we kept on launching newer features. Uh, so, for example, we started by launching okay, as a reader you can uh, rate or review a story. Then we launched that okay, you can follow your favorite writer so that if they publish a new story, you will get a notification. Then we launched library so that you can add stuff to your library if you don't have time and you want to read it later. Then we launched the self-publishing part where writers don't have to kind of send the uh, like the content to us and then we upload it because uh, we got to a scale where manually. uploading content was becoming just impossibly hard so we launched a part of the platform where writers could come and directly upload their content on their own uh, which would be launched, like a 
like a medium or a kora like like a medium or a kora or a what that yeah. so over a period of time the product kind of keeps on evolving hmm. tell me the journey like you know uh, honest answer is i wouldn't remember like there are uh, as in we typically launch or we typically let's say deploy maybe uh 15 days a month like there's mm-hmm. no way that i remember 15 deployments a month for last uh, no no but i mean broad broad stroke evolution like you know uh, from uh, text you also moved on uh, so, so you know fr- from that uh, broad evolution of uh, pratilipi right uh, and, so and me- also if you can tell me like how the user growth also happened along with these milestones again honest answer i wouldn't remember Uh, okay. but roughly i think so we have always focused on long term and kind of trying to do the right thing we haven't really focused uh, primarily on growth uh, the premise was always that growth is a happy by product of trying to do the right thing so in fact apart from me uh, like nobody else in the team till about 6 months back till a year back for sure like nobody really ever had targets or goals or kpis or whatever it was more like okay focus on whatever you think is the right thing to do and growth will happen as a by product uh and even today i think maybe five people in the team think about or like have goals or targets in their mind most people still focus on doing the right thing uh, and then growth happens as a by product uh so i wouldn't really remember exact milestones um uh, in terms of new product launches for the first four and a half five years i think we only focused on winning uh the literature online literature piece so in general as a early stage startup you don't really have that many resources both in terms of people in terms of bandwidth in terms of money in terms of anything else so you want to focus on this use case and try to get it to a size where it actually makes sense as a business uh, so that's all that we did then i think towards the beginning of last year is when we felt confident that within online literature now we have a sizable lead over everybody else in the like market and that is when we decided to, okay now is time to basically uh, launch newer formats and if you remember like earlier i was saying that pratilipi is a storytelling platform it was never about literature or online literature or whatever it was basically if you want to share a story with the rest of the world you should be able to do that uh, irrespective of any language irrespective of any format irrespective of any geography uh, so we started with the pratilipi fm which is a audio book uh, product audio book audio okay. shows podcast okay um, then okay. we launched pratilipi comics which is an online comics product um, then we acquired a company called ivm podcast which has been a podcasting studio um then we acquired a small publisher called right order which hopefully will become our physical book publishing physical comics publishing arm uh and we also started licensing our stories to ecosystem partners for conversion into other formats like a web series or a movie um and that has like started happening as well okay okay so uh, like till 2020 uh, when it was largely focused on text based content like uh, oh, was your focus more on acquiring authors or on acquiring readers like how did you balance the pressures and you know w- what were like the growth hacks that you used to build that so primary focus was actually not an acquisition at all uh, primary focus was on how what can i do to make my authors the happiest uh, and at least one of the key things of making your authors happiest is to give them more readers in fact probably that is the number one thing so the only reason why we even focused a little bit on demand side was because Well, that was needed to make my writers feel happy. Uh, but from both product perspective and from company perspective, the single biggest focus area was uh, how do I keep my like top writers as happy as possible. That is what we largely focused on. And we have always done a lot of experiments on product engineering uh, and everything else that you think of. It's not like growth hacks per se, uh, but it's more like just experimenting and seeing what works, what doesn't. Uh, so I till I think about two years, two and a half years back, we had a grand total of zero. 
people who work in marketing or sales or anything of that sort uh okay. actually so it was but basically how like, did uh, how were the readers coming in then uh, that is the thing like all the product people all the engineers uh, even people from finance or customer service everybody was encouraged to experiment and like some experiments would work a lot of them will not work and whatever work we'll try and basically double down and scale that but there was no marketing growth sales business development whatever you can think of mm-hmm. as in uh, your thesis basically was that in a ugc platform the people generating content are the kings like they should be the ones that are your primary market to cater to that was part of it but the bigger part was that if i have enough high quality content and if the product really works uh then i can always spend money and acquire customers whenever i want and any which case you are going at 4x year on year uh and 4x year on year growth is pretty okay so it reminds so like we are any which case growing well enough uh, and if i want to accelerate we can whenever we want by just spending more money and uh, what was driving this growth like uh, it, it was like word of mouth or were you because you were not spending to acquire readers so, so we were this was all like so okay. just because it's not that we were not spending money on marketing it's just that there was no one uh whose job it was to market or to acquire users it was more likely like the fitness culture has been that anybody can come and do anything uh so like a pm for example could be running an experiment on facebook a engineer could be running an experiment uh, on google uh, a customer service slash language guy might be running offline meetup uh, and all of these will kind of require money to spend and all of these will end up acquiring users it's just that it was not about acquiring users it was more about like experimenting and seeing what works what doesn't work hmm okay 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 and uh, but like tell me some of the ways in which that forex growth was happening like what were the just uh, honestly were... people look for silver bullets uh, there was no silver bullet it was more like uh, people have tried let's say 500 experiments out of 500 six of them have worked and that's how users came another 494 mm-hmm. did not work and that's fine hmm. but but what worked for you i have tried to derive those lessons you know sure. bullet points Uh, that, so that is the wrong I mean, way to look at it, in my opinion, because again, for different companies and different use cases, different experiments would work. As in, even for Pathip, if I do the exact same 500 experiments again, uh, and again, just to be clear, obviously we are doing 500 new experiments, but the same six will probably not work. Like that was in a different era with a different kind of product, uh, different kind of market dynamics, and so on and so forth. The single biggest one that worked really well for us was SU, uh, and that has continued to work really, really well. uh then the second one that worked really well was basically people sharing stories uh on facebook more than any other platform uh so sometimes it would be writers sharing their stories that you know i have published the story and come and read that uh sometimes it would be readers sharing a story that i just read mary avantika and this is a great novel and you should definitely go and read that so that was second uh performance ads on facebook worked really well so that was the third. like these would be the top 3 in that order okay a performance ads for readers or for authors uh, for readers for writers we i don't think we have ever spent money on acquisition okay okay so some of the readers will also be writers so when they land yes. on the platform then they get yep. converted into writers so, yeah so the best thing is at least in prathipi's context i think that uh, over a period of time we have figured that like readers automatically become writers over a period of time like everybody has a story in their head uh, and if you make the product simple enough Uh, and intuitive enough over a period of time they will start like creating content as well and not just consuming content how did you make it simple and intuitive for a person to be a content creator so i am not really a product guy i just huh. gave a lot of freedom and flexibility to my product managers who did huh. a good job i think huh. 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 okay but as in is it something unique and different from say the 
platforms like say Medium or Quora, which I am more exposed to, is ప్రతిలిపిలీ Okay. So, so when someone lands into Pratilipi, they only see content in their preferred language. Of course. Like of that. Course. Yeah. Okay. Not just preferred language, uh, but like our best guess on what is the kind of content that you are likely to like. Okay. Okay. And uh, are people composing stories on mobile or on laptop? Like on what uh, kind mobile of... Mobile is the largest by a big margin. I think 92% is mobile. Actually, 92% is mobile app uh, alone. Hmm. and then the so, remaining 6-7% would be desktop plus uh, everything else. Hmm. Which sounds fairly unique. I think... Uh, Not really. Uh, so this has been true for like Wattpad, this is true for China Literature, this is true for most of the platforms which are UGC platforms. Hmm. Uh, except for like Northern, Northern America what? to some extent and Europe hmm. to some extent, mobile is the like device of choice for people uh, in general in the rest of the world. But this is how long? Like average length of content? Uh, this is like, this is nothing like, so i'm not sure if you know for so this has nothing to do with less of length of content like uh, 50 shades of gray uh, as a trilogy the entire trilogy was written on a blackberry uh, so wow. for us for example like there is a story called meri avantika on prithipi which used to be the most read story i don't know if it still is that takes 19 hmm. hours to read uh, wow. all of these are published on the web wow okay amazing and you had tools so that people could save drafts and then come back and edit right. and review of and of course and uh, people typically release it in serialized like this avantika uh, story was it serialized or like that one wasn't at that time we did not have when miriamthika was published i think maybe 5 years back uh, okay at that time there was no serialization support on patliku but today if you look at content uh, like 70 80% of the content uh, is serialized literature okay okay and uh, what has been your monetization journey like when did you start monetizing what were the ways in which you tried to monetize uh so we just started monetization about uh, five months back maybe it's actually different products would be different to be fair um uh, so for so for comics for example we started monetization about eight nine months back i think uh for literature product we started monetizing about four five months back uh for ivm they have always been monetizing but we started doubling down about 4 months back uh fm still doesn't monetize uh so for different products it would be different so the way we think about pratlipi is that think of each vertical as a entirely independent separate company so each product would have its own independent team uh, its own independent cost structure its own independent revenue model and so on so forth. so for the literature product for example uh there are four different parts of monetization one part is essentially ip licensing which is basically that there's a story that's great so we acquire the ip and then we kind of convert that into different formats and we make money via that um second is basically subscription so there are two types of subscription one is called patlipi premium which is a platform wide subscription uh one is uh, like super fan which is basically you're subscribing to a particular creator uh and the third is basically that you can if you like something but you don't want to subscribe because you're not sure if it is that good then you can send the uh, creators virtual gifts uh in the form of like small stickers that have some monetary value so that is the third layer of monetization 
and this is how like nutrition monetizes Comics, why would someone subscribe to pratilipi isn't it free to read or are there is. restrictions yeah. and it will uh, as in most of the 99% content will always be free uh, so there are different ways to think about it so i can tell you what it is right now but obviously over a period of time it will evolve so like a year out it might be slightly different so for pratilipi uh, super fan which is basically you are subscribing to a creator uh, in that case you get access to some exclusive features uh, like for example there is a chat room which is subscribers only uh, so There is a writer, let's say Abhita Sharma. So, if you are her subscriber only, then you can participate in the chat room. Uh, similarly, there could be other features. That is one. The second is that uh, writers can put one or two of their series uh, under this subscription program, where the subscribers will get access to that content five days before everybody else gets access to that content. So, that is for super fans. Uh, for Prithvi Premium, basically, you get access to all of these content-related benefits. but you don't and for all writers but you don't get the benefits of features so you still can't participate in the chat room so uh, the, what i understand the content benefit is only about getting access early if you were uh, not a subscriber you would still have access but if you are yes. a subscriber then you'll get early access as of today yes and again just mm-hmm. to be clear it can change it will change over mm-hmm. a period of time mm-hmm. but right, 99% right, right. content will always be free mm-hmm. okay. maybe even more than 99% mm-hmm. okay okay and uh, okay got it so uh, you've never done ads like ads has not been a source of revenue for you for literature no as in there might have been experiments but uh, not as a and we will probably launch ads uh, in two years or something uh, but that is not because we think of it as a source of revenue for us that's more like there would be creators so like the top tier creators will make money from ip or the layer below that will make money from subscription the layer below that will make money from micro payments and virtual gifts but we want to have a like some way of monetization for the layer below that as well and ads would be that layer. uh but that's just like at least a year and a half two years out and it is unlikely that it will be a big part of pratipi's revenue why not all ugc platforms run on ads no? that's fairly counterintuitive like uh, youtube is, your biggest uh, inspiration is like purely or now they have a subscription focus but it used to be purely ad driven that is true i think it's just that ads uh, if you have too many ads for example uh, then they spoil the reading slash viewing slash listening experience so that's one reason the second reason is that uh, like today we are living in a world where there are more ways for people to be able to transact online so i think when youtube started for example back then the ways to transact online were very very small in india even 3 years back even if you really wanted to pay online except for the top 20 30 million people there was no way for you that has started to change which means that over a period of time more and more people will have access to tools like upi for example uh, to be able to pay if they want to so like i think direct payment just makes more sense from that aspect and also ads only work when you have like upwards of couple of 100 million users um, ads don't work really well for companies uh, which have like 5 10 20 30 40 million users Okay, okay, okay. And uh, uh, what has been your uh, 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 like? Tell me about this similar approach for the podcast, and like you know, what is the strategy in podcast monetization in comics monetization? What are like the? Hmm. So for comics, it's fairly simple. Uh, it's basically uh, pay for early access or just wait and read it for free. So comics are released uh, on a weekly schedule. So each each comics will have a chapter coming every week. Uh, and if you want to read today's release today, then you have to pay a small amount of money to read that, or you wait for a week and you can read it for free. That is that. And these uh, comics are also like UGC content. 
uh, as of today no so it will be ugc at some point the thing is that mm. uh, there isn't enough great quality content in comics for indian languages as of today yeah uh, so yeah, we have yeah. to basically invest into creating that content uh, but like 5 years out uh, it should be almost entirely ugc but so like, you are like take uh, you are onboarding authors or are you going to publishers or like how are you uh, so we have done both so we have licensed comics from for example diamond comics which published chacha chaudhary pinku pinky billu uh, we have licensed comics from graphic india we have licensed comics from amar chitrakatha we have licensed comics from global players like tapas uh, so we have licensed comics from like larger publishers uh, we also work with a lot of freelancers and a lot of studios to convert our stories into comics uh, where we are basically financing for that uh, so that is the second layer Okay, okay, okay. And uh, do you also translate, like, say, maybe a comic was in Hindi originally? Like, okay. Uh, okay, that depends on what licenses we have. Uh, but we will, as in, for our own comics, we definitely do. For licensed comics, we do, depending on the how popular the comics is and what kind of license the publisher is willing to give us. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And uh, for podcast, what is the monetization? So for IBM. Uh, as of today monetization is almost entirely brand ads uh mainly because ivm unlike pratlipi and pratlipi literature is a very high end premium product which means that a lot of brands basically want to associate with uh ivm's podcast uh so almost entirety of revenue as of today would be uh branded podcasts or like essentially brand ads uh, but we will be launching subscription on top of ivm podcast uh, by mid of next year Okay, so so that you can listen to them ad free, like for an ad free. No, no. Like, uh, it's not about ads. It's more like so. For example, the best so subscription will not be for all podcasts, and subscription will not be to IBM. Subscription will be to a specific podcast. So think of, for example, let's say Pesa Vesa, or think of let's say Cyrus Says. Uh, so there are some people who really, really, really like Cyrus. Uh, in that case, basically, you can listen to the main podcast for free. But if you want to have behind the scenes access, uh, if you want to be able to ask a question to Cyrus. uh or like if you want to be part of a lucky draw where you might become a guest next time and things like that mm. then you have to subscribe mm-hmm. to okay okay like a super the fan main, exactly subscription the main podcast is still free but there are certain exclusive things which are only available for subscribers so if let's say uh 800000 people listen to cyrus maybe only about uh, 5000 actually become subscribers it's just that once those 5000 subscribers kind of start growing across different podcasts then it starts picking a large number mm mm Okay. 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 So uh, originally, when you started in 2015, it must have been bootstrap, right? Like yeah. to fund the. So, so when did the first round of funding happen? Uh, so we raised like the f- exact first was 30 lakhs from Times Internet uh, in March 2015, uh, and then the first institutional round was a million dollar led by Next. 30 lakhs was like a uh, angel. Round kind of a. Uh, it was more of accelerator round. So T Labs. Okay. So Times Internet used to like BCCL. uh has something called time central which is their digital arm and then time central used to run an accelerator called t labs uh so that was a round led by t labs so and it made sense for them because you are in the content space they are in the content space so i that... don't think that's how it works so t labs want as in times wanted to become a proper like financial investor as in uh not just a strategic investor so they have been investing in companies across formats uh, like across use cases even if that has nothing to do with content or whatever. it was a purely financial investment okay 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 and uh, so this was like an incubator round uh, then right. when was the okay. next round hmm. uh, then we raised a million dollars led by nexus venture partners in february hmm. 2016 hmm. 
uh, what kind of pitch did you have at that time for nexus and what kind of user numbers and all you did you have uh, i can guess i think i would have had about maybe couple of 100000 monthly active users like 200 300 400000 monthly active users i don't remember exactly uh, the pitch was basically what we are talking about right now like we want to build a storytelling platform across different formats across different languages across different geographies uh, but we are going to be focusing on literature for the first 2 3 4 years and if we are able to win that then we'll start expanding into the for- other formats and other geographies from there so that was a simple pitch in fact in my seed round i actually even had a <clears throat> slides saying that why you should not invest in crypto <laughs> okay what was that like I don't remember all of it but I think it was basically like if you're thinking of a company that will become profitable very quickly but it is not that company uh if you're thinking of a company where we'll focus on how sexy the product looks but it is not that company we are going to be focusing on our users and what really works from experiments and not in terms of like what looks sexy or what looks flashy bunch of other things I don't really remember all of this hmm. okay 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 then uh, when did you raise the next round after this 1 million uh i think we raised a 4.3 million series a i think in about february march 2018 roughly hmm. this hmm. was led hmm. by omedia network okay so uh, uh, by this time nobody was telling you to run ads like you know that is still something which surprises me that lack of focus on ads hmm. like you know it's fairly people different come from up with, so a lot of people come up with their own different different advices people have said that hmm. launch ads people have said that launch subscription people have said that launch micro transactions people have said hmm. a bunch hmm. of different different things uh, but, but at the like, end of the day omedia did not ask you to run ads or like put any pressure uh, on you to monetize i think we have been fairly lucky in terms of our investors i don't think anybody has ever really pressured us that you should be monetizing right now uh, and or like you should be generating revenue right now or things like that as it would they have given different different kinds of advice they would have as an i'm sure that everyone would have said at some point why don't you launch subscription everyone would have said at some point why don't you launch uh, ads but that would have been more like a discussion as against like okay that this is what you have to do i think that ways we have been fairly lucky okay 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 got it okay so uh, and then after this the 2018 round with omedia then we raised a 15 million uh, series b uh, i think it would have been maybe sometime in 2019 uh, mid of 2019 i think uh, this was led by shiming venture partners uh, this is a chinese vc fund they have done a lot of ugc platform investments in china basically uh, so this was our series b and what were the user numbers by that time when shiming again i would have to guess i think we would have been about 5 6 million monthly active users might have been about 10 somewhere around i think something between 5 and 10 for our users hmm. And pre-pandemic, like 2020, early 2020, what were the numbers like? Should have been about, I think, 15 million monthly active users. 15, okay. and 17, something like that. Mm-hmm. And today, what are they? Uh, for the literature, now, today we have multiple products, of course. Uh, literature mm-hmm. has about 31, 32 million monthly active users. So you doubled in, like, the, during okay. the pandemic. Wow. Yes. Okay. Mm. And uh, the other products, like, what? So comics is about uh, I think comics should touch a million next month. Uh, today it should be about 900, 950 uh, KMAU. Uh, audio like Tatlipi FM should be about uh, 400,000 monthly active users, 350 to 400. Uh, IVM, MAU is impossible to guess because IVM distributes across different platforms and yeah, Spotify yeah, puts yeah. out different numbers right. and yeah, so on yeah, so forth. Yeah, yeah. That's hard to mm-hmm. understand. Mm-hmm. 
like product team doesn't have access to your analytics uh, platform in pratlipi's case even if you're an intern who has joined today in let's say graphic design you will still have access to literally every single analytics uh, that we have uh, you can see everything from bau mau retention whatever uh, you can go and talk to anyone from any vertical in terms of what they are doing what their strategies are and so on and so forth similarly on independence we have like we don't have independence we have an insane level of independence like you get to pick what you want to work on uh, there is no okrs there is no goals there is no targets there is uh, like we don't come and tell you for example that okay you have to acquire 5000 users this month we tell you like okay what is it that you want to achieve uh, that's second third is just in terms of providing resources uh, to people who want to do something and the resources could be whatever resources sometimes could be for example you want to run experiments so you need uh, whatever let's say 100000 dollars to run ads on facebook and you have zero experience in marketing you are fine with that uh it could be something else like could be for example you want to do a particular course let's say you want to do a remote uh, mtech uh, company will sponsor that uh you want to have a particular executive coach or mentor company will sponsor that uh or whatever else like you want to run your own startup we will try to support that in whatever way we can in fact there have already been two startups that is now public knowledge both of which were born uh from hackathons at pratipis internal hackathons and in both cases uh like these are like the founders are all explicitly but also like their early investors are mostly explicitly uh, as in they worked on the ideas while they were at pratipi and like that's generally just how we operate and it's again it's not that these are two exceptions that is just how pratipi has always operated hmm. but how how do you control it like it, it just sounds uh, chaotic uh, anybody can come and ask for 100000 dollars to run facebook ads how do you i mean we don't there must be some Some so every uh, gatekeeping, some mechanism of approval. So every strategy uh, and every culture, uh, it's less about being good and bad. It's more about trade-offs. Like what kind of trade-offs are you willing to make if you want to go on a particular strategy? So we make the trade-off that we are going to bet on people, uh, and we are going to bet on long term, uh, which would mean that in short term there would be chaos, which would mean that in short term some people will take advantage of us. In short term, it means that there would be some inefficiencies. It's just that that's a trade-off that we are willing to live. but there is no is, approval mechanism at all like depends on the kind of things right so uh, hmm. so for example if you have zero experience in marketing and you want to run marketing campaigns uh, as in now for example there would typically be a marketing guy who would kind of keep a look out okay are you not making a very obvious mistake when there was no marketing guy for example i will take a look out okay are you not making a obvious mistake uh, similarly for example let's say okay you want to go and pursue your mtech uh, your reporting manager has to basically come and say okay, okay Uh, have you done enough uh, within pratipi where we understand that mtech is actually going to be good for you and again it's not necessarily about whether it's good for company but like if for example you have been essentially slacking off for the last four months here it's chances are that you are going to be slacking on of mtech as well so we are probably just going to let you go forget about having mtech or not uh, so for different context there might be somebody who is helping figure out if this is the right thing to do uh, but in general there are no gatekeepers type for majority of mm. things mm. okay Okay. So Sorry, for example, you were let's telling... say you want to build your own startup. Uh, hmm. I will typically talk a lot with you to try and figure out if it is a feasible idea. Like, does that make sense? You don't have to take my advice, but I'll still kind of talk about it quite a bit. Uh, if it sounds feasible, we will not only just let you go; we'll actually help in whatever way we can. But if it doesn't sound feasible, we will try to tell you that you know what this idea sounds bad and it's probably not going to work because of X, Y, Z reasons. Okay. Okay. Uh, you were telling me the list of things you're doing. So one is attracting people. Second is empowering and growing people. Uh, right. What uh, third is uh, basically is general firefighting. Uh, 
Uh, so for example, when we did not have a marketing team, I was as in making sure that everybody who's doing marketing experiments, they're not making very big, obvious mistakes. Similarly, when we did not have a legal counsel, I was the in-house buyer. And we did not have a finance guy, I was the in-house CA, CS, whatever you want to call it. Uh, now, in different verticals, whatever needs to be done. So for example, right now, my, my marketing head uh, is trying out a different idea as a part of Pratliti, but like a different vertical. Uh, so right now, I have started stepping in a little bit into marketing. So basically, whatever needs to be done at that particular point in time. Uh, and that will change basis day to day, uh, week to week. So that is probably third. And the fourth one is just being a sounding board for people uh, if they are not clear whether it's aligned with the strategy, overall company strategy, whether like they have five ideas, but they are not sure which one to prioritize. Uh, so basically just discussing with people and figuring out like why X makes more sense versus why Y makes more sense. So I think these would probably be the four parts uh, hmm. of what I'm focused on. Uh, what is your process for deciding who gets to join Pratilipi? Uh, so again, just to be clear, Pratlipi is very highly independent. So it might not be my call for 99% people. So I only get to make the call if you're reporting to me. Uh, whoever you are reporting to, they get to make the final call on whether they should, they should join or not. It doesn't matter what Ranjit says. Uh, if you are going to be reporting to me and I am the hiring manager, then generally I'm looking for people who I believe are going to grow exponentially over the next 3, 4, 5, 10 years. Uh, so more than anything else, I'm looking for proxies or looking for uh, leading signals so that I can see that whether or not you are going to learn and grow at a very, very fast pace at Pratliti. I care much less about uh, your previous pedigree, your previous experience or anything else. Uh, I like people who are like really resourceful because Pratliti is still early stage startup and there's a lot of queue. So people who are resourceful are likely to do better. Uh, people who are okay uh, living in a chaotic environment where like nobody's hand-holding you and telling you, okay, this is what you should do. So you can take ownership uh, on your own. Uh, I like people who have high problem-solving ability because generally they, because of that lack of hand-holding, people who are good at problem-solving are the people who would enjoy working. Otherwise, you'll just get stuck very, very quickly. And then, uh, depends on the role, there would be specific other attributes that I'll be looking at. But these would be the broad attributes. So, uh, how do you judge these things? So, you're saying you want someone who's going to grow exponentially, but how do you judge that? How do you decide but he you, will grow, he will not grow? It's a judgment call, right? So, like, I would be wrong very often, obviously. Uh, but basically, it's two things. One is that what have you done in the past? Uh, like, have you learned and grown quickly, or have you basically were you gotten as in did you get lucky to be born in the right place at the right time in the right family and so on and so forth? And then you just kind of cruise along. Uh, so somebody who has kind of learned and grown quickly in the past are likely to learn and grow quickly in the future as well. And, and what got, kind of like like what is your interview like? So you just chat with them and ask them, you know, what did you do in the past? 90, 80% of the interview would basically be about what you have done in the past, what you want to do in the future. 20% uh, of the time, it would be depending on person to person. It could be like, let's say a puzzle. It could be, for example, a hypothetical scenario that what would you do in something like this. Uh, it could be more of engineering questions. So that depends on which area I want to dig deeper into. But 80% of the interview is almost always just chatting about what you have done in the past and what you want to do. Hmm. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were saying two ways in which you judge. One is that... Uh, One is you what you have done in the past. Or, uh, right. uh, uh, that's one. Uh, and the second is uh, something like a case study where I'll keep on giving you new information. I'll try to see how you are utilizing that new information into your model. So if you're not utilizing that new information into evolving your thinking, chances are that you will not do it in real life either. But if you are doing it, like while we are having that discussion, if you suddenly get to know a new point and now your thinking has changed, chances mm. are that will happen in real life as well. How do you do this? Like, can you show me an example? Like, could be a lot of different, let me give you an easier example. Let's assume that you are a big fan of a particular politician uh, and that's fine. 
and then I give you a new piece of information that that particular politician has actually bribed someone. Uh, does that filter into your process, or like you don't? As an, I'm not saying you suddenly start hating him. I'm saying like, do you keep that point of information? You evolve your thinking. Now I give you a different point. Uh, let's say that that politician uh, actually has raped someone in the past. Does that change your thought process? Uh, if I give you a new piece of information, that politician actually came from a really uh, bad background and then they have donated almost all of their net worth to charity. Does that change your process? So, like this is a weird example. I'll typically not be about politicians. Yeah, typically yeah, yeah I understand. Hmm. Uh, but the point is basically like there is a viewpoint that you hold basis something and I keep on giving you new information. I keep on seeing how that new information changes and involves your thought process. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Okay. And uh, are you like a information junkie? Like, you know, do you love to uh, know yes and, and no. learn and, you know, new current affairs? and Mostly no, a little bit, yes. So I read a lot. Uh, but the purpose of reading for me is not learning. The purpose of reading for me is, well, reading is fun. Uh, if it happens, like, it obviously, because I read so much, so it obviously happens that I know a bunch of things. Uh, but that is never the purpose. The purpose is just to have fun. And that means that inadvertently you end up learning a bunch of stuff um, and knowing a bunch of things, but that's not why I read. That's not So I like, for example, playing intellectual ping pong with people where we are talking about random hypothetical scenarios, okay, why this company might work, this might not work, why this strategy is better or that strategy is better. The purpose is not to dissect the strategy. The purpose is to have fun. It just so happens that because you are doing that, so you'll learn a little bit more about strategy as well. Mm-hmm. And you typically read fiction or non-fiction? Both. And like what language? Uh, now mostly English because over the last 7, 8, 10 years I got used to it. Uh, so now maybe 80% English, 20% Hindi. Is there a difference in quality of content available in English versus vernacular? For literature, not anymore. I don't think so. Uh, maybe there is still some. Uh, but it would be like 19, 20, not like 15, 25. Uh, for nonfiction, I think there is still a huge gap. But again, it's not a function of talent. It's a function of opportunity. Uh, it just so happened that there was not that many nonfiction platforms for non-English writers or non-English creators, which meant that the best people either learned English or they stopped creating. Uh, build something like Pitlipi for non-fiction creators and the quality will rise automatically. So are you planning to do that? To go into non-fiction? Of course, like IBM, for example, is almost entirely non-fiction, right? Right. Uh, right and right. like we would be doing a lot of stuff about non-fiction as well. I don't know how it would look like. Would it be a part of an existing product? Would it be a new product? I don't know. But will we do something? Of course, 100%. So these are all separate apps? Like Pratility.fm is a different app and the comic uh, these app? These are separate products, yes. Okay. okay. And, but, and the uh, uh, FM app is currently like uh, you are paying for the content or is it UGC? Uh, there's some UGC. Uh, there's some UGC, there's some licensed content, but a lot of content, basically we are, as in it's content that we have already acquired, but we are paying for production and editing and sound engineering and all of that. And because you have a studio in the form of IVM, so... No, no, IVM's quality is uh, very, very different. Like that is not the kind of investment that we would make for something where uh, we are primarily doing, as in for Pratlipi FM and Pratlipi Comics are going to be UGC platforms at some point in time. Uh, It's just that Right now, we are investing because, well, number one, we can afford to. Number two, the market is not ready, uh, which means that either we have to wait for two, three, four years for market to get ready, or we have to invest to get it faster to that point. Uh, IBM has a certain reputation where the content that they create has to have a certain level of quality. So IBM's production cost would be 3x, 4x of FM's production cost. Right, right, right. Got it. Okay. So you are uh, essentially in the 
space of the creator economy so to say you know like you are essentially looking to arm the creators so so what is the uh, the lay of the land here you know what is the other players in this space whom you see as possible future competitors or today's competitors uh, you know uh, i think i don't really think of them as competitors mainly because the market as of today is still fairly small including prathipi i'm not talking uh, i'm not trying to belittle the competition like the number of players in a creator economy as a whole is still fairly small none of these uh, including us, the players you know, in the creator economy just for depends on how you define creator economy obviously uh, but i think the largest and the most important one is youtube and instagram by a big 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 margin but outside of youtube and instagram depending on the format there's uh, for example for video there is a uh, uh, tvf there is array there is um, uh, what do you call that pocket aces there are a bunch of others for audio there is pocket fm there is kuku fm uh there's headphone uh a bunch of others for um, literature there is uh, matrubharti there is kahaniya there is valmiki uh, there is story mirror there are a bunch of others uh for other formats like for creator merchandising there are a bunch of others for creator monetization there is a uh, scroll stack there should be a bunch of others again uh, so depending on the context that you are talking about or the use case that you are talking about in each use case i think there would be at least 5 7 people trying to do something or other Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, are you also planning to uh, build like a Substack kind of a product for email newsletters, or do you think that your audience so, is not relevant? Actually, it's not about Substack like per se. Substack uh, will so okay. It's not about Substack or Pratipi. Both of us are doing the same thing. It's just that they are starting from a different point. We are starting from a different point. Right. So at the end of the day, what creators want uh, is like audience engagement and monetization. so we started by saying okay let me solve for audience then i solve for engagement then i solve for monetization what substack did was they said okay let me solve for monetization then i'll solve for engagement then i'll solve for distribution so it's less as an over a period of time you will see substack resembling more and more like pratipi and pratipi resembling more and more like substack it's just that we are going from it going towards the same point in different directions i am i i think it's unlikely that we'll launch a product like substack uh, given that we already have distribution like why would i take a step back uh, is it possible it's possible but it's unlikely hmm hmm okay okay sorry and uh, is video on the horizon like that's the last frontier for not, you so to say not in the short term probably so we are not so we are only interested in storytelling pro- uh, products so we are not interested in very short form content for example now video long form video we will have to compete against youtube um, that's not a battle that we think we can win um, so probably not in the short term we within video we are doing bunch of stuff so for example we are producing web series but then we are not distributing them like netflix or hotstar or mx player are distributing them uh we have started experimenting uh, and we want to really double down on motion comics uh, if you haven't seen uh, you should go to youtube and check out uh, check out mordomi train uh, that we have start that we have published the first season i think we just finished 3 days back as a motion okay. comics series on youtube uh, it has had mordomi train you said m o d o m i Uh, let me murdo ki train murdo ki train oh, yeah, in english okay. it would be called uh, train of the dead hmm 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 okay. uh, so we okay. so for motion comics for example maybe we might actually launch uh, our own uh, distribution product but video as a whole uh, distribution i think we don't want to compete against youtube you know i am uh, really fascinated with how you uh, hold the ship together with such a laissez faire management style uh, how big is your team now i think about uh, 160 people roughly hmm 
And do you think this laissez-faire style can continue when you are say 500? I have no clue. I don't know. I think when we were 20, I thought that maybe at 50 it will start breaking down. Uh, when we got to 50, we thought at 100 it will start breaking down. Uh, so we don't. Honest answer. Why? Uh, why hasn't it broken down so far? What makes this work? What makes it? I mean, I've never heard of any other company which has such a laissez-faire kind of a culture and you know organization. I think, it's most, I think it's mostly that early on it was still me driving these uh, values or this kind of company culture, right? Over a period of time, there are more and more leaders within Patlipi that kind of also percolate the same thing. So in, like, when it was just me and I was managing this for five people, it was easy. But at 25, it would have been hard. But now, let's like, say when we are at 170, it's not one person driving that culture. It's more like 20, 25 people who have worked in Patlipi for long enough, who genuinely believe in this way of working. Uh, and they have been basically the beacon of light for like, how we want to proceed. So that makes things a lot easier. I think if it was just me driving this, uh, that would have broken like four years back, five years back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, and uh, don't you worry about uh, like people making wrong hires or uh, you know? I mean, I I know that at one sixty size also a lot of founders would still personally interview every person getting hired just to ensure culture fitment and. Uh, you know, but in your case, you've left it to the respective leaders to decide. Uh, you know, I worry a lot, but uh, that is a trade-off that you have to make. I think a bigger problem would be if we are doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and both of like either of the two can work. Your founders are interviewing everyone, or at least every major candidate, uh, and like a very high uh, independence culture like Pratipi, either can work. I think the problem is when people don't know which culture they want to build, and they try to do a little bit of this and a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So you come across as someone with a lot of uh, uh, belief in ideological purity. Like there is a certain ideology which you want to stay pure towards, and you don't want to dilute it. Like it, uh, so, I am. That is true. So I am idealistic, but I am also very practical. So in the sense that, uh, for example, I would never say that Pratipi's culture is going to be like this forever because I don't know. Uh, and like maybe at certain size it becomes impossible and we have to change this or change that. So culture is evolving just like values are evolving. Uh, it's not that nothing about Pratipi's culture has changed. It's just that the core has remained same. But on the edges, a lot of things have changed and evolved over a period of time. Uh, the same is true about our strategy. Like the core of the strategy has remained same even bef- since even before I got my co-founders. But on the edges, of course, a lot of things have, like different things have changed. So that is also part of your ideology. I don't know is one of your ideologies. Which is, fair. Which is yeah. fair. I think I'm generally fairly consistent. Hmm. But uh, this is, uh, I mean, I've seen founders with decades of experience who don't have this kind of ideological purity. What what made it happen? Uh, honestly, I don't know. I think I became just, as in, back in 2011 or so, I decided that uh, like I want to be conscious about what kind of person I want to be. Uh, and I think like, because I decided to be conscious about what kind of person I want to be, over a period of time, I also became conscious about what kind of company I want to keep, uh, what kind of company I want to build, uh, what kind of culture I want to have, and so on and so forth. So I think I just have been a little bit more conscious about what is okay with me and what is not. Uh, because I, as in, again, like 10 years back, I decided to keep what kind of person I want to be. So like everything else kind of started from there, right? So what made that? What was are, the trigger for for you to think about this? Like, what kind of person do I want? Honest answer that I don't remember. 
must have been a fight or something with someone where I felt like I was being an asshole and I thought okay like I don't want to be an asshole so I thought okay instead of like me being random qualities let me kind of consciously decide what kind of qualities I want to have and what kind of qualities I want to unlearn this episode of Founder Thesis Podcast is brought to you by Long Haul Ventures. Long Haul Ventures is the long haul partner for founders and startups that are building for the long haul. More about them is at www.longhaulventures.com.